find in the Bible will use the term jealous, and in a different translation, it will say envy. So it's used interchangeably in the Bible. So we'll go through what the differences are. And then um, near the end, we'll also touch on covetousness, because uh, covetousness is a huge um, symptom, or it's very related and connected to jealousy and envy. So we're going to talk about that. Okay, so um, why study jealousy? You know, for me, at least in my experience, when I had feelings of envy um, and jealousy, I thought, you know, it's not a big deal because nobody can see that sin in my life. I don't barely even really recognized it as a sin, at least not a very big sin, and thought, you know, this is something that I can just, you know, it's just me. It's just me. I'll get over it. It's this person that's bothering me or whatever the situation is. But I can get over it, and it's not a big deal. And just within time, it will be better. But I realized how false that was and how that sin of jealousy and envy just started to grow in my life. And um, if we look at Proverbs 14.30, it says, A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy the rottenness of the bones. That sounds really pretty. <laughs> like, not pretty, but it's put really poetically and nicely, and it's like, okay, move on to verse 31. But if we actually break it down, we can get a lot of the meaning of what envy does to our lives. So what I did was I took the words in this verse, and I looked at different translations to see what other words did they use, and I found that a sound heart is also used as tranquil, Peaceful, calm, peace of mind, a sound mind. So we're getting here. A sound heart is basically no issues, just very calm and peaceful, and, and you're at rest, pretty much. Life of the flesh also uh, uses healthy body, health to the body. So we're actually talking like a physical body here. Um, life of the flesh, like a physical, healthy body. Envy, again, other translations use jealousy, passion, and then this is interesting, uncontrolled emotions and quickly angered. So we have here with envy, there's a lot of intense emotions that are attached to that. And then rottenness of the bones. So rotting bones, cancer to the bones, and corroding bones. So here we actually see inward, our inward physical body is the rottenness and decay and destruction of our physical body. So what we see here is, the, envy, the opposite of envy is a sound, peaceful heart. So if you're envying, you're not going to have a calm life. You're not going to be you know, at peace with yourself and with others around you. And by having a sound heart, it will give you a good physical life. Strong, you know, healthy, glowing, um, happy, um, just very vibrant life. But envy will give you a slow, destructive life decaying death, essentially. Um, I like to think of it as this. So I, my husband, he likes to have an apple a day at work. Um, so when I go to the grocery store and I see apples on sale, I, you know, stock up. And so one day there was uh, these red delicious apples that looked really, really great. They were big, red, shiny apples. And, you know, I stocked up a bunch of them because they were a pretty good price. And um, that night I put an apple into my husband's lunch and sent it off in the morning. And that evening, he came home, and he was like, what's up with that apple you gave me? I said, what? Like, that was like the best-looking apple I've ever seen, pretty much. And he said, when he took a bite, it was completely rotten inside. And he took a picture of it, and he showed it to me. 
It's like going to throw up. It looked disgusting. And it just, you know, from the outside, you would have no idea that it was rotting inside. So that's pretty much what envy does is we don't see envy. It's in our heart and in our, you know, our minds. And nobody can see that externally. But inside, it actually makes us very, very ugly. And it's like cancer to the bones. So um, that's just something to think about. And that's why it's so important to study this, um, because um, no one else can see it, and sometimes we can't even identify it ourselves. So I'm going to just go right into um, jealousy. So what exactly is jealousy? I like to think of jealousy as three people. Um, there's three, usually three people involved. So we are jealous when we possess something. It's mostly a relationship. It could be an item, it could be, but most of the times it's a relationship that you have with someone else. And a third party comes in and poses as a threat. So you can see this as, you know, you have a really good relationship with your best friend, you've been tight for so long, and then in walks another, you know, person or a guy or someone else and is a threat to your relationship and how close you are with that person. And um, jealousy can sink in. So some Bible examples, um, we have Joseph's brothers, and we know what happened there. Uh, they tried to uh, throw him into the pit so he would die, but instead they sold him into slavery. So they lied to their father that he died, and they essentially tried to murder him, but that uh, they got money out of it instead. Uh, Saul towards David in 1 Samuel. Uh, Saul was on the hunt, who's so jealous of David, they were saying, you know, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands, and Saul became really jealous because what the um, fame that he had now was being taken away from him as David came in and posed as a threat. And Saul tried to kill David multiple times, we know that. And the priests toward Daniel in Daniel 6. Uh, the priests were jealous of Daniel uh, because Daniel was put in charge of him. Of, of the priests, and so the priests, what they decided to do was, you know, make a decree, and Daniel didn't follow that decree to worship the king, instead he worshiped God, and they, they knew that he would be thrown into the pit, so they tried to kill him. So we see that the end result of jealousy can lead to lying, deception, and murder. Um, and that's, that's pretty intense, because we wonder, oh, like, my jealousy, my, my little jealousy that I have right now won't lead me to murder, there's no way. But it is very true that even just a little seed of jealousy can grow and grow and grow and cause you to do something that you really never thought that you would do. Um, Proverbs 6.34 says, For jealousy is the rage of man, therefore he will not spare in the day of vengeance. Will not spare in the day of vengeance. This means, like, basically, in the day of vengeance, like, intense emotions that you just won't have those control, like you won't have control over your emotions. Um, as soon as the jealousy builds and builds and builds, you start losing control over how you're going to handle situations. You lose control over what you're going to say, and it can turn really ugly. Proverbs 27.4 says, Wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous, but who can stand against jealousy? We're saying anger is like outrageous. You've probably seen a really crazy, angry person before, but in the Bible it's saying who can even stand against jealousy? It knows no limits. Uh, and we know that uh, when we hate someone in our heart, the Bible says that is, that is murder. We need to be very careful.
So here's a slide. Take a look at it. Um, let's say, am I a jealous person? Um, it's hard to detect because sometimes we don't think we're being jealous, but we really are. Um, one, one thing to kind of consider is if a third person comes into a relationship with you, um, how do you view that third person? Uh, are you comparing yourself with her or him? Um, if, for example, say that you know this third person comes in and your friend really admires the fact that you know she's athletic and she's smart and she's artistic, so then all of a sudden you would start being smart, athletic, and artistic, but to a higher degree than what she is. So if she's into basketball, all of a sudden you're going to start doing basketball and watch basketball, you know, sports games and be all into the stats. And all of a sudden you're trying to, you know, up her, like get better at her um, at whatever she's trying to do. Like if she is really good at, you know, putting together flowers, all of a sudden you want to put together flowers. Or if she's singing really well, then all of a sudden you want to start singing really well to try and is this competitive nature. So that's, that's one indication. As well as your speech about that person, um, gossiping, rumors, slandering, putting yourself up, putting that person down, those are all um, indications of jealousy. All right, so now envy. So we had jealousy with three people. I like to think of jealousy um, dealing with two people. So uh, we are envious when we desire something that someone else possesses, and we're upset at that person for possessing that attribute or whatever they have that you don't. Um, for some reason, you don't think they deserve it. For some reason, you think you deserve it more than them. Um, and it can even lead you to wanting the person to fail and to fall um, as envy grows. You want that person pretty much to be destroyed. So I, I've seen this in my life that um, a particular person that I was really envious of um, shared the news that um, she was pregnant and she started you know, having complications. And the envy that I had wanted her to have complications and eventually um, lose her baby. How terrible is that? How terrible is that? That small seed of envy that would grow and grow and grow and wanting her to lose her baby. I had to come before God and repent and seek his face because that in itself is murder and it's real. It is real. And we need to be so careful that we don't let envy overcome us. Um, some Bible examples Rachel and Leah, I'm going to get into that a little later on, but that's a classic example of envy in our lives. So, this verse really hits home, Galatians 5, 19 to 21. It says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresy, and beings murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. I know I like to classify sin. You know, murder is up there, 
fornication's right there, you know, so forth. But in this verse, envy is listed with adultery, fornication, murder, idolatry, and witchcraft. With God, sin is sin. There is no ranking. There is no classification. Sin is sin. Envy is so, so destructive, and it says that they which envy shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And I had to think, why? You know, it's, you know, sometimes we just say, oh, like, I'm so jealous of your tan, or I'm so jealous that, you know, you got to go to Thailand, or I'm so jealous that you got this, or whatever, um, which we we actually mean envy when we say that. but when we let that actually sink in our hearts, yeah, it's like, yeah, she went to Thailand. Oh, and then like a month later, she went to like Europe, okay. And then next year, oh, she's gone to Australia. Hmm. Well, how much money does she have, you know? And then the next year, she's like, you know, she's going to England again. Oh, oh my goodness. And and it's seeping in. It's growing, growing, growing. So what's wrong with that? Like, why is that alone so bad? And um, I read James 3, 14 to 16, and it says, But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. Don't suppress it. Be honest with yourself. Lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. The, the, The key phrase is, Every evil work. So what's so bad about envy? Envy never travels alone. When you envy, there's every evil work. That's huge. Um, Strife, complaining, bitterness, greed, discontentment, gossip, slander, hatred, selfishness, pride. Um, That all follows with envy. So when we allow envy to grow and seep into our hearts, we can be 100% sure that we're going to sin in multiple areas. That's why it's huge. And that's why they which do such things shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's huge. Um, Here's another slide of am I envious? Just be open and honest with yourself. Um, and examine yourself in your hearts because I am telling you, everyone experiences envy. Everyone at some point or another. Different degrees, yes. It all depends on how much you let it grow. And it all depends on your relationship with God. But we all experience envy. So. All right, covetousness. I'm sure you know Schmigel. Classic example of covetousness. So I liked it. So jealousy was three people. Envy, two. I like to see covetousness as one person. That's kind of how I remember. Covetousness is when we desire something so strongly um, that you want it so badly that you don't necessarily want the person or anybody who possesses it to fall or fail. They have no impact on you. There's nothing personal against anybody else. It's just your own self that just is wanting, wanting. Um, Some examples um, in the Bible, King Ahab um, coveted Naboth's vineyard. He killed him. David coveted Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. So what did he do to Uriah? He basically killed him. 
Um, and Gehazi wanted the gifts that Naaman brought Elisha for healing him. And Elisha said, no, no, it was God that healed you. I don't want your gifts. And Gehazi then um, lied and was very deceptive and stole, tried to steal the treasure or the, the, the gifts. So lying, deception, and murder. Again, uh, lying, deception, and murder was the same symptoms and end results as jealousy and envy. So we see a common thread here. Some examples today for us. Um, we can covet items like purse, a car, um, we can covet any items. We can cover, covet um, attention, praise, um, admiration. I think of um, social media. You can covet likes. You could covet, you know, when you post something, the attention that you get, um, how far do you go and the extreme measures to post and how often do you post in order to just get that attention, you know, that um, that feeling of being admired and people following you. You can covet a lifestyle. I think of actually Pinterest boards, <laughs> at least for me. <laughs> I like had a little period where I struggled with that, and then I had to repent and ask God to forgive me because um, I was all into like Pinterest boards for my house, and I started becoming really discontent with my house. And I'm like, I should not complain. I have like a nice, you know clean place in a nice neighborhood and God has blessed me a lot but these Pinterest boards man like this everything looks so nice <laughs> and it's so unrealistic because as soon as I want to you know do the Pinterest thing in my house I see like nine months later a new style coming out and I'm like well that looks pretty good <laughs> maybe I should tear down what I just did nine months ago so we can covet Pinterest boards like a lifestyle even bloggers oh my goodness bloggers we don't know them, we have nothing against them, but for some reason we're coveting like what they're doing and, and how they look and appear. Um, social media is so huge in coveting and it's so hard to guard ourselves against that because it's everywhere. Um, but we can covet, you know, through bloggers. We can covet an image, um, an ideal weight, an ideal size, an ideal, you know, how you look. We can cover that and going through completely extreme and unhealthy measures to attain what you want. Um, so covetousness is a sin. We know that because it's in the Ten Commandments. It's the last Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet. Um, but we also find out in Colossians 3.5 and Ephesians 5.5 that uh, covetousness is idolatry. For this ye know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater see the connection, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Covetousness is idolatry. 1 John 2, 15-16, covetousness is lust, lusting. And uh, Luke 12, 15 will take you to discover that covetousness is discontentment. Uh, really at the, the root of it is just not being satisfied. Um, rejecting what God has given you how God made you, where God has put you in life, and saying, that's not good enough for me, God. What I want, I know what I want, and this is what I want and need. It's, it's complete rejection of God and what he has done and given us. Am I coveting? Take a look at this slide. Um, coveting leads to crime. Think of Black Friday. <laughs> that's coveting items, but people, seriously, like they, 
they trample over people and kill people to get what they want. Not because they have something personally against that person, like I said, but because they are in the way from getting what they want. Do we do that? Do we do that? Um, if we covet something, a relationship, we're coveting a relationship, and a friend comes and is blocking your way from that relationship, saying, this is not good for you, um, this is not where you should be going, and you end that relationship. You kill that relationship because, no, this is what I want. This is where I'm going to go. It's destructive. All right. I'm going to go into Rachel and Leah. And I know a lot of you know about Rachel and Leah. But I think a lot of you don't really know about Rachel and Leah. <laughs> it's actually a really long story. It's found in Genesis 29 and goes all the way to 35. But basically, if we remembered... Jacob deceived his father and his brother, and he stole Esau's birthright and his right to inheritance, right? And when Esau found out, he was so angry, he wanted to kill Jacob, so Jacob had to flee. And he went to his uncle Laban's land, and pretty much immediately, as soon as he got there, he fell in love with Rachel. He saw, it says the Bible says that she had a beautiful face and a beautiful figure. He fell in love with her. Um, So he worked seven years for her, and then he got tricked by Laban. Laban, on his wedding night, gave his daughter Leah, who had, it says, weak eyes, delicate eyes that could be interpreted as not so beautiful. Um, So Jacob ended up, you know, sleeping with her that night, which means that you were married. And when he woke up, he was in, like, terror. He negotiated again and said, I'll work seven years if you give me Rachel. I really want Rachel. So Laban said, yeah, sure. So actually... Um, he married Leah, and then two weeks later, he got Rachel. So it's not like after seven years he got Rachel. It's, you know, he got Leah, two weeks later he got Rachel. So this is just a setup for a complete disaster to begin with. You can imagine. It says in the Bible that Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. Put Leah off to the side. Yeah, she's my wife, but I never really wanted her. So you can imagine how Leah must have felt right from the back. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved... He opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. God was giving Leah children as a blessing for her because he saw she wasn't being loved. Uh, But that didn't change Jacob's heart toward Leah. So when when Rachel saw that she wasn't bearing any children... She went up to, she told Jacob and said, Give me children or I'll die. Jacob's response is, Am I in place of God? Am I the one that's withholding you from having children? So you see this battle that's going on. We have Leah has what Rachel wants, which is children, and Rachel has what Leah wants, which is Jacob's love, and both are not satisfied. Um, so back, back in the day, they would give their their maidservants to the husband to sleep with them to to bear children for them and that would grow the family name so you know Jacob had 12 sons there's some daughters in there too but it's it's you know you don't bear like all 12 sons yourself you give your maids to him too so what happened was is Rachel would send her maid sleep with Jacob then Leah would send her maid sleep with Jacob and then they would have a kid and then they would have a kid and it became a battle it became a competitive battle and um and um, this constant, yes, I got it. And, and if you read, it's like, yes, got pregnant. Yes, got pregnant. And it's this constant battle and 
com- competition. And um, it just, it never really ended. Uh, in Genesis 30, it says, During wheat harvest, Reuben went out into the fields and found some mandrake plants. He brought them to his mother, Rachel, to Leah, and then Rachel said to Leah, Give me some of your son's mandrakes. Um, some, some theories say that she probably wanted these mandrakes because they had like fertility healing powers or something like that. Maybe. I don't know. Um, but that's probably why she wanted them. But Leah said to her, Wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Now you will take my son's mandrakes too. Very well, Rachel said. He could sleep with you tonight in return for those mandrakes. So we see Rachel has this control even over Jacob's love life. You know, she's got this control. Fine, if you, uh, you know, give me the mandrakes, you could sleep with Jacob. So when, Ra- when Leah went, slept with Jacob, she got pregnant, and that made Rachel even more bitter and angry. But God, God is gracious, and he does give us, you know, what our hearts desire. And so he allowed Rachel to become pregnant with her first son. Uh, and so she had Joseph, and she said, she said, God has taken away my disgrace. May the Lord add me another son. And that's classic. Not good enough. I got it. I got to get up to the same level where my sister is. And so um, we could just see the evidence of Rachel's immaturity. Um, it was time for Jacob and his family to leave Laban. And um, Laban wasn't too happy about that, so he, he wasn't going to give any, any inheritance. So Rachel took it upon herself to steal her dad's household gods. She stole them. Didn't tell her, her husband. And she put them under the saddle of her donkey and told everyone, I have my period, you can't look under here. And back in the day when you had your period, Anything you touched would be unclean, and nobody can touch it, or they would be unclean. So Laban found out, oh my goodness, my household gods are are missing. Uh, Let's go search for them, and clearly they can search them from under the saddle. Um, Some people think she stole the household gods because she still had pagan tendencies and thought maybe they would give her more fertility. So you see that, like, coveting of more kids leads to lying and stealing and all those other sins. Um, Some people think that she was angry that she wasn't going to get an inheritance, and so she felt the right to do that. But she deceived her husband, deceived her father. She was a liar, and she was a thief. Then when Jacob was approaching Esau back to his homeland, he was scared. He didn't know how Esau was going to respond. So he he numbered his family from least important to most important. He put the maid servants in the front, then he put Leah, and then he put Rachel right beside him. You can imagine how Leah would have felt still not loved by Jacob. God was gracious again to Rachel, allowed her to have a second son. She named him Benjamin, and she died during childbirth. That was her life. That was her life. Never good enough. Got a son, want more. Immature. Had another son, never praised, you know, thankful and content, and died. She was buried off to the wayside. No cave, no grave, wayside. Leah, Leah was buried beside Jacob in the same cave as Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebekah. Still never loved. It's amazing how 
the little root from the very beginning grows and grows and grows and grows. It's terrible, and we need, we really need to overcome these sins in our life. Titus 3, 3 to 5 says, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior to our men appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. If you have not um, been saved by Jesus, if you have not accepted him as your personal savior, repented of your sin, and allowed Christ's blood to atone for your sin through your faith, um, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, we cannot overcome these sins. Actually, we can't overcome any sin. We can't do anything. So I'm going to talk about overcoming, but if, if you're not saved, this will have nothing to do with you um, because it's not what you do that saves you. It's Jesus Christ that saves you. And so the gospel is going out again today to you that you can be saved of your sin if you come to Christ, repent of your sin, and ask him to cleanse you, um, to get away all that cancer in your bones out of you. He's the only one that can do that. According to his mercy, his love for us, he saved us. For those that are saved, um, like me, and still found myself struggling with these sins because it does happen once we're saved. We do struggle. You know, we fall into sin, but God leads us to repent and to overcome um, sin in our lives. And so we first need to be in the Word. We need to be in the Word. Um, it says that the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the divining asunder of our soul and spirit. Um, Psalm says, search me, O God, and try my heart. Um, we need to be in the Word. We need to come to Him and examine ourselves, examine our motives. Why are we doing this? Uh, and allow the Spirit of God to work in us. Confessing. Verbally confessing to God in prayer and repenting. But also what I found in my life is when I recognized my heart and where I was with my envying, my jealousy, I had to obviously confess it to God, but I went to the person. <laughs> so hard to do. I went to the person and I said, I just have to tell you something. I have been so envious of you and laid it all out there and asked her to forgive me. Reconcile your relationships. And I tell you, there it's like floodgates that open when that happens. Just burst open. And a lot of healing takes place when you do that. And then from there, walk in the Spirit. Guard your heart against it. You know, once, once you repent and you confess of it, you're not done. We're in a battle. Satan is after your heart. So walk in the Spirit by being in His Word, um, hiding God's Word in your heart, memorizing verses. Um, it says, the Bible says, binding you know, the truth around your neck around your heart. Um, Philippians 4 says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are, are true, 
honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report. We need to come to God and ask him to change our minds daily, to be in the word daily, to help us. Some, some practical things that I've found that, that helps me is cutting it off. You know, the Bible says that if your arm offends you, cut it off. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. Um, essentially, what didn't help me, um, I think of social media. Pinterest boards, I had to cut it off. Like, I had to get rid of that app on my phone. Um, sometimes I go through fasts, uh, social media fasts. So, like, Instagram or other, you know, social media. It's like there's just stuff that I see because every day there's new feeds, there's new pictures every day, and it just is adding, adding, adding. And it's like, i got to cut this off. It's not helping me um, get rid of it, even if it's just for, like, a time being. Praise and thankfulness. Try and have a heart full of praise. Count your blessings, see what God has given you, and be satisfied in that. Um, give to others. The more you give, the more you serve, the more you're investing in other people, the less you're thinking about yourself. And uh, Romans 12, 21 says, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. So I've heard it said, if there's someone that's your enemy, your enemy, or someone that you're having a hard time in a relationship do something good for them and, and do it with pure motives, not expecting anything in return. Even if they're not kind to you or if you're just jealous of them for something, give something to them that means something to you without any motives, expecting anything in return. And when you do that, it's like you're giving, if it's kind of more sacrificial, it's like you're giving a part of you to them. And when you do that... Um, this love and affection kind of just comes out. I don't know how to exactly say it, but it's real, and it, it, does, it does work, so you can give it a try. Um, you can pray the verses on love. Ask God to help you to love that person and um, be satisfied in God. Psalms 23, 1-6, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Right? Why do we need anything if God is our God, if Christ is our Savior and He gives us everything we need? Why do we need anything else? Um, pray those verses over and over again. And this last one is follow good examples. And I, I thought this was really interesting because I, I didn't really pick this up in the Bible before. Philippians 3.17 says, Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have for an example. Um, another verse in Psalms 37, 37, says, Mark the perfect man, and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. So what this is saying pretty much is, find someone that loves Jesus and treasures him above all else and walks a life that is just basking in his glory, and you can see it, and it's so radiant. Mark that person, observe them, and follow them. See how they live. See what they say. See what they do. And when you do that, um, you will see that the treasures of this earth is nothing compared to the treasure of Christ. And you'll start to be more attracted to what they have and wanting what they have rather than what the world has and what the world has to offer. Um, I don't know if we have much time, but I'm going to just briefly go on. On Psalm 73, I love this chapter. <laughs> It's like so perfect for um, 
envy and, and how to like pretty much overcome, all summed up in this one, this one chapter. And I like how it's phrased in the NLT version. So I have it up here in NLT just because it's easier to pretty much understand, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this. Truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone, for I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have trouble like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. I see this as, these are sinners, obviously. And I see this like bloggers. <laughs> they just seem to live such painless lives and they look so great. And we are envious of them. Well, some people coveting envious. And then it goes on. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. And then in the bold there it says, Then I went to your sanctuary, O God. The Bible. And I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. You put them on a slippery path and send them over a cliff to destruction. When you arise, O Lord, you will laugh at their silly ideas as the person laughs at dreams in the morning. Then I realized that my heart was bitter. So recognition, you realize it. I was so foolish and ignorant, yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains there stre- the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. How good it is to be near God. We go to his sanctuary, his word, to be near him. We see that we're his. He loves us and he wants us to be close to him. And we need to desire him more than anything else in this world. Proverbs 14.30 a sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy the rottenness of bones. 